you believe that we started recording right in the middle of 2020 with all of the COVID and lockdowns going on around us, unable to meet up. So like many a young gentleman, we turned to the internet for our entertainment. Tried to find a place where we could meet up and talk about the good, the bad, and that time that Stu saw a pelican on the canal. In order to facilitate our dreams of answering all of the big questions in film, and after a few attempts at recording via other methods to various levels of success, we found Zencaster. A super easy, web-based, one-stop shop for recording. Log in and you're ready to record in a matter of seconds. It doesn't take a tech genius to get high-quality audio or video. And on top of that, the one time we have had an issue, the fact that the multi-layered backups are stored locally means it's easily fixed all in browser. There are plenty of tools you need when you start podcasting, so let Zencaster take that headache away as it offers a place to record, edit and distribute all from one website. Any Lazy Bones Jones can pick up and play and have studio quality audio or 4K video put out for the world to see when using Zencaster. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use our code CAGEFIGHTING and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. We want you to have the same easy experiences we do for all our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. And now, hit the music. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillis here. Hope everyone is keeping well in the world right now. Hello, everybody. Matt Guy here. Hope everybody is spectacular as we're nearly into uh, March-ish. We're getting there. It's getting warmer. I'm not in a big snuddy thing, so it's all good. Hello, everyone. It's Stu here for your pleasure. Um, it's getting warmer. It was the first day of shorts of the year today. Um Popped into work for quite hungover. Um, after like his London expedition yesterday. Um but the short attic one. It was nothing to do with being hungover either. It was just the fact that it was actually warm. So um it is it's quite welcome now. I am done. I'm done with it now. I'm done with the cold. I mean it's full on heat wave there for a new one. See, I think I've been wearing shorts pretty much every day. Even like I don't think I've stopped wearing them since last year, to be honest. I don't think it's been cold at all it's been 24 7 shorts apart from that one time i had to go into the office because they would probably look at me funny if i rocked up in shorts in the office you you finally passed that that kind of old man area where you can wear shorts in the snow yeah yeah i think that's it definitely but for for order of service though before we uh before we start something that was mentioned on the end of a former pot that other podcast which you may have listened to two days ago but so yes this um sugar puffs being renamed to what are they to what sugar they were renamed 10 years ago were they were they not always sugar puffs yeah but they're not called sugar puffs anymore oh what are they called and they haven't been for 10 years that's news to me honey monster puffs apparently which I call bollocks. I call bollocks straight away. Yeah. I said, this, has, this hasn't happened. But then we looked it up. Honey Monster Puffs. 
that it looks very similar. The packaging hasn't really changed, and he's obviously there front and center, and it's got puffs written in big words. Ten years ago, apparently. I need. I'm not sure I'm buying that. That's well. I need to tell you about something that happened to me, food related. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I really hate the the use of the words like woke and stuff like that. Uh, and it's not me. I'm a left leaning, Labour voting, union card carrying um, son of a bitch, and I'm proud of it. However, I went to buy a McPlant the other day from <laughs> Love a McPlant. Tastes amazing, brilliant. And I asked them to put real cheese on it. And they refused. They flat out refused to put a normal slice of cheese on it. As if there's any fucking milk in it anyway. It's not. It's that American processed plastic cheese. There's no actual cow in it at all, really. And it's <laughs> once. And they wouldn't do it. They were like, "It's a, uh, it's it's a vegan item on the menu." And I was like, "Well, oh, listen, I've preached to the converted sister. I get that. More power to it. But like, you know, just just replace that cheese with the non cheese, please." But they refused to do it. And they were like, "You can buy cheese and put it on yourself." Mm. And I was like, "What? Surely the vegan cheese is is more expensive." than the normal cheese in terms of like manufacture it probably goes through a more you know arduous manufacture and it's bought it's not as bought in bulk as the other cheese so surely the cheese i want is cheaper anyway what i ended up having is my my plant and then a separate box with a slice of cheese in <laughs> that was stuck to the bottom of the box so i couldn't even get the cheese out when i got the burger home why is there no video evidence of this? This is content. Um, I've got a picture of it on my phone. I'll send it in the group. We can maybe, with, with the power of editing, just at this point, superimpose the picture in. Um, yeah. But I was honestly, I was, I couldn't believe it. And I was just like, what has this world come to? Like, why? Well, there we it's, go. That's my food. That's my food problem of the week. It's probably a spec thing that they can't do it because... If they did it and then someone, an actual vegan, it could be a trick. It could be like an evil vegan trick to kind of to get you sacked because you, you're compromising them. It could be something as simple as that. It's almost like, like how when Nisi started working the, the old spoons now. And she said uh, she had one guy come up and ask for a lemonade, which is, okay, never heard, not heard of this before, but we do sell lemonade, all whites as well. Remember the, remember the well, no, you're not old enough for the all whites ad, but at this point you're saying that. Um, <laughs> but he, she said, do you want a lemon in it as well? Because obviously on the side, he went, no, I'm allergic to lemon. And, <laughs> and she was like, yeah, but it's lemonade. He went, yeah, I know, but I don't want the lemon. I'm allergic to lemon. And she had to double check with the, one of the people who were more experienced than her, just in case she was allowed to do it because he'd stated that he was allergic to lemon. <laughs> But basically, he just didn't like lemons. He liked lemonade. I mean, that's, that's like me. I don't like oranges, but I like orange orange juice. But I wouldn't say I'm allergic to it. But she still has to check because she wasn't sure. Let me, let's I, revisit this, Stu. Is it orange juice is in, like, I'm going to pour me a glass of OJ, or you're on about, like, orange squash? Oh, no, no. I like a, a glass of OJ. Smooth, though. No bits. No bits. Um, 
I don't like bits if I'm being honest. I know I know someone's gonna come back and say, You children <laughs> like Sonny Dean like, obviously better, but we can't get any more. Yeah, and is it? No, it's not. And you you are both children. You should have the pulp. It's the best bit. Is it though? Oh, it's, it is lovely. If I was... it gives you that bit of added texture. Yeah. The problem with pulp is if I drank a glass of orange juice and then immediately threw it up again, like immediately <laughs> threw it again, that's what it would be like with the pulp added. Like yeah. it's like the chunky bits that your body doesn't right. So the texture is what puts you off because it yeah, tells you. Like, yeah, it's not. It's not. <laughs> this is a film-related podcast, isn't it? <laughs> um, and you, yeah, again, we mentioned about body fluids and it's nothing to do with me. Yeah. Um, but obviously, pulp of any kind, food or band wise, is quite shit. So, well, that's that's what you're wearing. Back to crossing the line, that is. <laughs> so, so you won't have orange squash then? That's your problem. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll have orange squash. I've got no problem with orange squash or okay, orange juice. Right. I just don't like or- oranges as a as a fruit. Um, I just I've tried them. They're fine. Well, I prefer not to eat them. Give me an apple. Be a good apple every day of the week, but not orange. You know, what's than it, you know what's better orange than eating a mandarin? Friends, if it's a mandarin, eat a mandarin. I mean, this is all top quality content. <laughs> Cuisine cast, isn't it? Cuisine cast, <laughs> yes. Penciled in for like October, I think, gents. I'm already on it. I'm already on it. Uh, we'll move on to some film news and get back on track, though, I think. Um, starting off. So, we're obviously recording Sunday night, as you know, but to everyone else. So, the BAFTAs have just been announced. Christopher Nolan has now won the Best Director at the BAFTAs at the DGAs, which is the Directors Guild of America. He's won the Golden Globe and he's won the Critics' Choice. So, he's the Best Director by some margin, it seems. He's obviously heavily favourited for the Oscars especially because the Oscar board is based on the same board as the DGAs. So it looks like it. Matt, surely this is his year. So no. You'd think so, wouldn't it? And, you know, there's so much justification for all of the plaudits, I think, as well, for so many for so many different things that, yeah, it's, it's hard to see past a kind of star-studded year for him in terms of, like, the awards and plaudits and everything like that. Yeah, without a doubt. Stu, are you on the same bandwagon? It's 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 got to be him. I mean, I know Scorsese. Obviously, he always gets like an honorary bump. And Killers of the Flame Moon was an excellently directed film, but it is Oppenheimer's time. Is and it's he's, he's Nolan's to take. Yeah, I mean, I said it at the time. I said it after we watched. It, I watched it for the first time that it, it was in my top five films ever, straight away, um, and it, it's. <laughs> taking the recency bias out of that it ain't changed it's almost perfect for me I love that film well obviously I don't love it because it's, it's not very fun um, but it's exceptionally well made in every aspect um, down to the minutest of detail it's 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 a masterpiece and of course it deserves it, it it's not it's not a travesty which we'll get onto later um, it's well deserved and I don't think anyone can really argue it really other than Barbie fans <laughs> yeah, I think we'll probably come back to Christopher Nolan at some point in the future because I think we have seen pretty much all of his films between us and 
we could probably do like a, a ranking tier, try and get me to some sort of order because they're all great, but some are greater than others. I think it's it's a conversation to be had at some point on a, a future podcast. Uh, moving on, Barry Keoghan is set to star in a film about the final days of Saddam Hussein. It's going to be directed by Johan Reng, who is the director of Chernobyl. Uh, the film is called Amo Saddam. It is based on the novel The Prisoner in His Palace, a story about a dozen men who arrive in Iraq and are assigned to guard a high-value detainee, which is Saddam Hussein, during the final months of his life. Obviously, we don't know much else about it. I'm assuming neither of you have read that book either. Um, but Chernobyl, that was one of the best pieces of TV show of the 21st century, wasn't it, Shay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't know Roy being that good. And the fact that it was... I haven't watched it again. I don't really want to watch it again. It was it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like what we said about Oppenheimer, it was so well done, and it, it got people watching it who you'd never expect to watch that kind of thing, just because we and being buried on Scott was it Sky Atlantic, wasn't it? It was buried mm-hmm. on, I think, at first, and for something like that to kind of cross over, and obviously through means and the high seas of, of ways of getting hold of it. For it to be part of the mainstream conversation for something so horrible, yet so perfect and so well done at the same time, the, everyone involved in that show deserves recognition and a chance to do something further down the line. And sign me up for this. I don't, I don't even care what it's about. I can care less about Saddam Hussein. I mean, if they're, if they're looking for someone to play Saddam Hussein with a big beard who's a very pale, good black shirt, <laughs> two or three ain't bad. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's obviously he's, he's great, isn't he? Um, we, we've all we've all seen everything that he's got to give and more. Um, yeah, bring it on. I, I, it's it's so weird sounding, and I've got no idea what it's even going to be. But I don't care now at this point. Most things he's in are good. Um, taking away two films that I hate in that that list. Um, but yeah, day one. Yeah, I've, but you, but you, you wouldn't say that the films that you disliked, you wouldn't say that he was bad in... Oh, no, 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 no. Season, no. Would you? No, no, he's... he's always, he always gives a very good performance in whatever he does. Most the, most people in Banshees are good. Most of them are. Oh, God, I just don't like that film. Yeah, I mean, I've been re- reading the reviews of the book and it says, like, it's a very powerful, moving... People figuring out like where they are in the world and their purpose and that kind of thing. So it sounds like it's going to be a, a deep and meaningful exploration, more so than just a straight retelling of the um, execution of Saddam. Uh, Matt, so yeah, Chernobyl, it felt like, I mean, it was 2019, so it was pre-Tiger King, but it was one of those Tiger King-type shows that everybody did seem to watch. I mean, I remember listening to the Football Ramble and they were talking about it on there and... Obviously, they don't really talk about anything other than football, so it did it did seem to capture the zeitgeist somewhat, didn't it, that one? Yeah, it really did. And it was interesting because it attacked people at so many different angles. And I know it's going to sound like ridiculous to, to make the comparisons of this, but you had people that used to play like the modern warfare Call of Duty games that were interested in it because of one of the levels in mod- the Modern Warfare franchise because it was all about like Chernobyl and everything else and it just had that reach because it just 
I don't know where this fell in line with kind of Game of Thrones finale and where it's sat if it was already finished by this but because it's hbo wasn't it this was it hbo shouldn't it? like yeah and everybody used to i can't remember who it was it was um i think it was in i love you man where like he makes a reference saying hbo they're just so good aren't they and she goes yeah they are really are um was that it came in at a time when i think we were really at a point of viewing again for the lot for, for a while there were things that were on that were like you absolutely have to watch it at the time it comes out and then this came out and it was like oh just another quality show that is out there and i absolutely loved it i must have watched the first episode more in like a 12 month period than i've watched of anything because yeah. the first episode was so impactful it was so impressively done and the fact that um and uh Disgusting! I forgot his there. Uh, I forgot his surname. It's Paul Ritter, is it? Um, yeah, Paul Ritter. Obviously, he plays um, the uh, the guy at the start, the uh, scientist who is in charge of the plant at the time. And then, of course, coming from like Friday night dinner to that <laughs> was the weirdest like uh, feeling of emotions and stuff. And he did it so well. Yeah, I, I had a lot of time for that show. I probably just get it back on the on the loop because of. Just, just the mention of it makes me want to watch it again. I mean, you just mentioned about it felt like it was the start of appointment viewing. I just had a quick look at other things that were released in 2019. Sorry. Um, Umbrella Academy, phenomenal. The act was brilliant. And like the whole story about Gypsy Rose Blanchard is still sort of rumbling on now. For All Mankind started. The first season of Servant was brilliant. It sort of went off the board a little bit, but that first season was excellent. Swamp Thing was a really good show as well that didn't get seen and was cancelled before the first episode came out and ended up being brilliant. Watchmen, The Boys. 2019 was a banner year for TV. Really good. Uh, so moving on, Joseph Quinn has been announced along with Vanessa Kirby, Eben moss and Pedro Pascal as the Fantastic Four. Um, no, nothing else about this at this point other than those four people are going to be playing the main four characters in this one. Um, some rumours have been suggesting that it's going to be set back in the 1960s, so it'll be a different flavour to everything we've seen in the MCU. Matt, you're very much out of the loop on the MCU. Would this be the kind of thing that would have you interested? I mean, it's got a very good cast, hasn't it, if nothing else? Yeah, I suppose. So do <laughs> any of the Live Aid singles, and I don't like them either. So, um, no, uh, Fantastic Four, especially, are like the dirt worst of all of those worlds as well. Like, I've never seen anything about the Fantastic Four outside of the Lego form, the format of the Lego games and stuff. That's ever made me want to get involved with Fantastic Four. Like I don't know if it's if it's uh, like in that world they're a deep cut. I don't know. But <laughs> I just have I just got zero interest in the Fantastic Four at all. Um, and I don't, well, we're going to talk about I'm sure uh, in one of the listener questions actually about a certain film that's come out recently that was described by friend of the show Ash Dolan as a, something like a wet pl plot or something like that. Um, not, it doesn't interest me in the slightest. Who Who's going to... What's the name of the one that's got really bad eczema? The <laughs> the thing. The thing. Who, which which one of them is going to be the thing? 
Uh, the guy from uh, the bear. Oh, okay. Mm, that could so, be okay. Man who gets angry gets angrier. Is that basically it? <laughs> Andy, are you with us? Is it is a hologram? We've lost him to the ether. Well, I can see him. But he can't see us. This is like a, a horror <laughs> show. Like we could we could see him. We he can't hear us. Yuck out. Keep this bit in as well on the audio. I need to tell him not not to edit it. <laughs> For those that are listening to this, we can see Andy. He can't hear us. Oh, so the the thing is played by Angry Man from the Bear, who gets angry again, but with bad eczema. So God, with psoriasis. Yeah. Well, he, need, he needs a bit of uh, bit of moisture on himself. I mean, a weird thing about this one that I Fantastic Four was the first kind of comic thing I was ever exposed to, because my granddad had the anthologies I suppose it'd be called um a compilation books of the like the 60s cartoons I don't know why because he had no interest in comics at all apart from Fantastic Four um so I, as a kid that's what that's what I remember reading first it was still quite awful <laughs> but it was the first I remember seeing so I've got a bit of a bit of love for it not the the second film obviously because it was well the the first reboot because he was awful. Um, but this cast makes it interesting to me. And I know we've been burnt before and we got burnt by Eternals. And setting this in the 60s does make no sense whatsoever unless they're going to do it. So it's it's a 60s where on one universe we've never seen before, on one multiverse, so this is how they're going to cross in and all this kind of stuff. Uh, because otherwise you, you're going to end up with the same thing of, well, well, where have these four been then for the last... God knows how many years when all the world's been ending. Well, these well these lot have been pissing about doing. That doesn't make any sense. So you'd have to set it in, in Earth, whatever, nineteen sixty three or whatever, and and blend them in that way. That'd work. But what's the what's the female one's power? Invisibility. because uh, one of them's one of them's bendy, isn't it? Stretch Armstrong. Yeah, and you've got the what's what was Human the Human the Human Torch. The Human Torch was denied a bank loan. It's like a bomb burgundy, isn't it? Um, and then you add him from the bear. I got you. Mm. Yeah. Because, like, the, the, to be honest, I think all the films that we've seen so far have been absolute dog shit. The first two, no. So, yeah, actually, to be fair, the first one was terrible. There was a reason it was never released. That is still the best one that we've seen. <laughs> The two with Jessica Alba were dog dirt. They were so bad. And they they even were like so badly rich and they made the same joke in both of the films. It was pathetic. And then the last one, which was Josh Trank directed, was just a mess. And by all accounts, it was because studio interference. And it you could sort of tell where he just dropped off because it got halfway through and then just died a day. So I don't have a lot of hope for this film means that the track record has been as bad as it has. But it is Pedro, which sort of doesn't make me probably give it a chance. 
because I really like Pedro, I like Backrack, I really like Vanessa Kirby. But it's probably going to be one where I'll wait and see what the reviews are like before making a decision on whether or not to, to waste my time seeing it. Because there's nothing else that Marvel have put out or have got coming out that looks even remotely interesting to me. So by the time this comes out towards the end of next year, which is the apparent release date, probably going to be so far out of the loop, it's just going to be not worth my time trying to watch it. So I, I really don't know what to do. It sort of would make sense if they went back to the 60s purely because that's when they started effectively. So the Fantastic Four are the first family of Marvel and they started it all off in the 60s. So if you want to go back and look at where it all started out from, potentially, and then there's all stuff with the Ultimate Universe. and So I do think the multiverse nonsense could play a big role in this one, whether we want it to or not at this point. You know, that could be, these things don't tend to only take a year, do they? So it kind of, mm. if if they've only got a year, I mean, unless unless it's one of them things where it's been announced because filming's going to start like tomorrow and they're going to do it all in two months and then the rest is going to be the post-production and actual proper CG, then fine, but... <laughs> it seems like it's going to be rushed and it's going to look awful. That is the worry, isn't it? But they're talking about replacing Blade, which was supposed to be aimed at the tail end Good. next year. But Good. we're never seeing Blade. No, never going to make Blade. We've established this. It's not going to happen. But yeah, you are right. There is that worry that it'll just be a rushed, garbled mess again. So who knows? Who knows? Uh, we'll end with a little bit of Nick news. So we've got two items of Nick news. The first one is Arcadian. The post-apocalyptic monster movie has been given a theatrical release date, and that is going to be the 12th of April. We know nothing about Arcadian other than it's going to be a monster movie. It's got a small cast, so it's probably going to be a small budget movie. I mean, obviously we'll watch it at some point. So, But yes, yeah, so that's something to look out for. And the other piece of news, which is something a little bit more interesting, uh, Nicolas Cage is in talks to reprise his role as Spider-Man Noir in a TV series. Seeing nothing confirming if it's going to be live action or animated. I'm just assuming it's going to be animated because Nicolas Cage is 60 years old and it might look a bit odd if he's uh, trying to put on the spandex, I think. But Master Spider-Man Noir, I think, was... I mean, we enjoyed um, the Spider-Verse films, didn't we? So mm-hmm. surely we want more Spider-Man Noir. Yeah, I think so. I think it's like... It's fre- it's fresh and I say fresh and new enough for something that's clearly meant to be like Dick Tracy or back in the past and everything like yeah. that. Um yeah, I think it's like visually it could be very interesting to see as well. So if it's the whole Spider Verse side of things is like built on the bedrock of it being like a visual feast, a visual treat on the eyes. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with it and it should be a lot of fun. So yeah, but I'd be definitely up for, for seeing that. Stu, I presume you take whatever they give us because let's be honest, if it is Lord and Miller, they've done nothing wrong ever. I don't think like everything I've seen of theirs has been fantastic. Yeah, I just like, like I said when when you mentioned this, I I don't want to believe it because as soon as that film came out, that's what everyone wanted. Um, they just wanted more of him because he was great in it, and we saw him for what mere minutes on screen in total. Yeah, that film. Um, it's so weird and interesting, and the fact that he's talk openly talked about wanting to do TV, 
this makes perfect sense that this is the, his way in because he doesn't have to do anything other than being in a, in a recording studio. So let's just hope it happens for not just for our sake and, and hashtag content, but the fact that it's actually a good idea. <coughs> yeah, completely. Really, something I'd be looking forward to. And to us, I kind of want them to do a series of lots of different Spider-Men. I think it'd be a good idea and give us a lot of different visual styles, a bit like the Marvel What If series. They could do yeah. that just with the Spider-Verse. I think it'd be quite an interesting and fun thing. The word be is you just don't want it to end up being overkill. But any, any more Spider-Man noir and I'd be well for it. Right, that is the news for this week. Matthew, have we had any questioner, the questioner, listener questions? <laughs> uh, yes, we've had. We've had a few ones. Um, one of the first ones, which I thought was really sweet, um, is from friend of the show now, Mike Evans. This has been in touch quite a lot with us recently, and we really do appreciate it. Didn't have a question so much, but just wanted to know, are there any uh, funny drunk stories and, and, and how did we all meet? So... I'll go with the with the how we met bit. It was all through Wolves Fancast. Um, and Andy, I'm fairly certain you were on the first show I did on Fancast. So I was very nervous. I had a little you know, pad uh, to come in and like, so I looked well-researched. And then we had um, found out, I think, just through Osmosis, had um, like mutual hobbies and stuff like wrestling and, and the like. Um, and then through Stu, same kind of thing, through Fancast. And then it was like a COVID thing, wasn't it, for, for this, um, where you just had a concept and an idea, and then um, I'm guessing you had the same conversation with Stu, and then, and then here we are, and that's how it ended up kind of forming as a as a podcast, really. Like, one of the, the, dr- the drunker things for me would have been... Um, when me and you, Andy, went out, when before we knew it was the last night on Earth, which was the the night we went to Planet before the world ended and we were put into lockdown and we met... Was that the night we met Eddie Kingston and all those from... It was. Friday. It was. Eddie Friday the 13th of 2020. Yeah, he had the most leathery hands I've ever met of any person <laughs> in the world. They were like, like rubbing against sandpaper. Um... But yeah, and uh, and Stu, do you remember much of Fancast Four Hundred? Which one was that one? That was at the Lich Gate. Oh yeah, yeah, that was fun. That was, yeah, yeah, you know what? I because we had the soundboard, and uh, <laughs> is that when you took it out, Wendy? I can't remember. Um, <laughs> could have been. I know when when Dave mentioned that we were going to do a, a live recording of Fancast in the pub. It was all, oh, this is going to be a really ridiculously stupid idea because no one's, oh, a, no one's going to turn up, and two, the sound's going to be terrible. But actually, people did come and watch, and it was just, it was such a, a good fun night of just passing the microphone around of people who'd been on the fan cast years before, and, and at that point, newbies like you two. Um, it was, yeah, it was a good laugh that was. Um, but I wasn't even remotely drunk though, as is normally the case. Are you sure? Because I remember you swaying, doing some right, swaying in the Posada. In the Posada? Oh, yeah, yeah. But that was that was afterwards, though, not during the podcast. Oh, not during, during the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we've been yeah, in the Gifford a few times, haven't we? And had a, had a few knees up in the Gifford. Yeah, well, we um, we went to that one where me and Andy left at half three in the morning. Uh, when we, it was supposed to have been uh, 
COVID restriction time as well. <laughs> when we were sitting outside. Yeah, I remember that. Fucking hell. But yeah, I remember that that night when you and I ended up in Planet uh, Math. Because we were in we were in the Gifford after the wrestling and we had a nice night and it got to that point where it's like, let's see what the next song is. If it's crap, we'll go. And then all of a sudden it was three hours later and we were still going on. It was was class. Was that the night that we were we were groomed in the Bilston Weatherspoons? Yes, that for <laughs> all my advice to someone's sex dungeon. Did you know them, Stu? Was it staff? Yeah, I knew the. Yes, I'm not going to name them. I know exactly who they are. Though they uh, they have a reputation for such behaviour. In another in another universe, Andy, we were Butch and the other guy from Pulp Fiction, but we yeah, that's, we don't save. They're still there now. I was thinking more hostile. Yeah, it really probably would have been that level. Yeah, I'll tell you the night. Sorry, the first night I remember meeting you, Stu, was like we'd been talking for ages, but we'd never actually met on a podcast or anything at this point. And we both went to Brentford away. So we met just ran in the pub. We we met, and that was the start of our friendship. And it was a match where we absolutely battered them for ninety minutes, but it took us until the death to actually finally get the winner. And that was when you fucking pounced on me. And I was like trying to hold you up while celebrating. It was almost like, you know, that scene in um, like Dirty Dancing. Not that it wouldn't lift her up by the stomach, but where she jumps on in red with the legs wrapped round her and leans back. That's what she was doing to me while I was trying to hold him up. It was, um, that's a way to make an impression. To be fair, it was the terracing as well at Brentford in the old yeah. stadium. Um but yeah, the, the, I mean, the, the thing of this was, I mean, that we had that that idea for ages, and we just we just couldn't be asked to sort it out because we said we should do a spin-off of of film and TV and games, but we couldn't figure out a way to do it. So that was yeah. years before then, and, and then obviously COVID, and we had nothing else to do. So that's <laughs> that's where he came from. Well, in the same kind of vein, uh, Stu Matt Cunnington wants to know: Did Stu really see a pelican on the canal? And how drunk was he? So, for those that have already joined us in the last few months, Stu, retell the tale. Um, for those that are long-term listeners and sufferers of this podcast, you may already know this. But, Stu, tell us the tale. I was just walking home and there was a pelican on the canal. It's that I wasn't drunk. It was I was walking home from work and I thought, because there's herons there sometimes and there's normal things. And I saw it and I thought, that's a pelican. And I thought, well, they can't be a pelican because it's in Wensfield and it doesn't make any sense. And But it was there, it was looking at me, and and then it flew away. But then I looked it up, and it had escaped from Dudley Zoo, and it actually had happened. And so when I found that out, I realised I hadn't gone mad. But it was there, this baby pelican, on the canal, on the towpath. It's quite a way for it to have uh, emigrated, though, from Dudley Zoo, isn't it? It's uh... Well, if it's going down the canal... You know, Black Country Canal Network. It's not like it's not that on a barge. Yeah, well, it can fly, can't they? They can take like a chicken. I mean, it's it could. I don't know how, how long pelicans can fly the air for. It's just one of those things. It's, it's clearly it's, it's escaped somehow, and it was there, and then it flew away. I'm fairly certain when this chat came up the first time around, I mentioned before, but I'll tell you about the time when I saw a. Um, a peacock on the Techno Road because it had escaped from Mother India. 
<laughs> in takeaway. They had a, they had their own peacock. Uh, and it escaped into like into the road and just in traffic causing absolute <laughs> chaos and like spreading its like big wings out or like all the patterns and stuff like that. Yeah, it was incredible to be fair. That's like that legendary video of that goes around Twitter occasionally about the uh, the guy walking his llama. Remember yeah. that one? <laughs> <laughs> the llama you can wonderful. <laughs> um back on to more uh, film-related news, as this, this podcast seems to be di- <laughs> like digressing <laughs> at an alarming rate twice now. Um, Joshua Buckley uh, wants to know, would Nick Cage have been able to have saved Madame Webb from being such a disaster, Andy? I mean, I haven't seen it yet. I've, I've obviously only heard the reviews, and it does feel like the reviews have very much been, it's bad, but you've got to see it which is more than can be said for a lot of Marvel films recently. Like, it, it seems to be a fun kind of a mess. And I'm sure Nicolas Cage would add to that. Like, we've seen some of his absolute worst, haven't we? And he sort of makes most of them watchable. Like, Left Behind is a god-awful film, but the Nicolas Cage of it all does make that film a lot more watchable, so he probably would have done. Stu, what about yourself? Have you seen it yet? No, I'm going on Tuesday, so tomorrow when this comes out. I was was just looking at the cheese picture. Um, Jeff D. Lowe's video review on Twitter is superb, and it makes me want to watch it now. Uh, It's it's one of them. It's it's obviously not been made to be shit, but the fact that it is shit, unintentionally so, could put it up there with a rune. I think going into it, Knowing how bad it is, it's got to be better. Because it's, it's like the anti-Morbius where it's kind of like, well, it, the early reviews are a bit middling. It's got to be a bit of one of them. It's got to be like Venom 2, which was in there. Um, but this, everyone knows it's awful. So I'm going in there expecting it to be terrible. And if it's anything but terrible, then it's a success. Um, I can't wait to go and see it for this reason alone, because... It's like every day you get something that's such so panned by every single person on earth for being awful, but in an entertaining way. And like he said, that Jeff Guy said that if you like comic book films, you absolutely should see this in the cinema. And I don't know why that is, but I'm going to do it. More power to you, Stu. If you want to make yourself through suffering, then you be you. Uh, that's in your uh, best interest. Uh, Andrew Wright, finally, um, having recently watched The Iron Claw, which is great, by the way, uh, there is a significant part of a family story which is missed out. So on that note, which film that's based on a true story leaves out or changes the best or most interesting parts of the actual events? Andy, is there anything that you can think of? The, The only film that I can think of that I think was very fast and loose with how it went down was The Greatest Showman. Now, I know, obviously, that was a musical, so you've got to take that out of it. But just the whole way they presented P.T. Barnum as this this good guy who's just putting on a big show and helping people rather than the exploitative piece of shit that he actually was making money off people with disabilities. Um, I can't think of, like, any specific moment that was missed out of a, a film or anything. But, like, the characterization of having Hugh Jackman, they obviously couldn't have him being a villain. So they made him into the good guy in this film, which was just massively incorrect. 
Mm, yeah, I get where you're coming from. Stu, what about you? Is there anything that you can think of where the story that was told wasn't quite as good as it could have been because there were maybe more controversial things that were missed out, maybe? Like, I think when you we eventually get, you know, the Michael Jackson one, whenever that comes around, obviously they'll, I'm sure, be hard and fast with the truth there. <laughs> Uh, about what's going on. What, what, anything that comes to mind? I mean, the stuff, there's inaccuracies in Bohemian Rhapsody, isn't there, about like what the way things went in terms of live aid and stuff like that. But again, it's the whole thing of these historical films. Do you want to be a documentary or do you want to be a film? Mm-hmm. And But I think when you're putting yourself out as a, a biopic, as that kind of was, you can't piss about with the truth. It doesn't make any sense doing that. Um, the obvious one is U-571 because the Americans did not capture the Enigma machine and it wasn't by Bon Jovi. So that is clearly very wrong. That's factually incorrect about who who got the machine that broke the code for to end the World War II. That's wrong. I don't know. That, doesn't, that one didn't make any sense at the time. I mean, I knew that obviously because of my granddad and stuff like that, but that one annoyed me more than anything else because you are fundamentally changing history for no reason other than to wank yourselves off of it as being the best. Well, I think we expressed such a passion, an impassionate speech there. <laughs> I, was, I was talking about U571 the other day. That's always fresh in my mind. I mean, the real answer here is uh, Zero Dark Thirty because it doesn't show the clip where John Cena mentions it at the end of like a <laughs> pay-per-view event where he goes, we have captured and eliminated Osama bin Laden. And he does it as if he was the one that went in yeah. and captured him and then came back out and gave him an FU or an STFU and then left. I love how that clip still like reappeared. Like someone posted it today on Twitter. Every few months, it just keeps coming back up. And I watch it every time because it's absolutely bonkers. We eliminated him to a permanent end. Osama bin Laden. <laughs> it's <laughs> It's brilliant. Thank you, friend of the show and follower of Cave Fighting, John Cena. You know what? Talking about things that keep coming up all the time. I mean, obviously, the, the gif of you shaking your head, Andy, but that was another one from a, a drunken night out where that went to a, a different turn that we uh, expected to start off with the night when we ended up... It, you as well, enjoying yourself listening to Steps. Which you must I didn't enjoy Steps. I enjoyed the night. <laughs> you knew all the words. What is it? You're just making this up. It's all there. It's in video form. We've got the evidence. You know, you knew the words. You enjoyed yourself. Then you have to, then you realise where you were and what you were doing. <laughs> you became sentient. <laughs> you understood. <laughs> um, thank you, everybody, for your questions. As always, you ask them, we will answer them. The sillier, the better as well, please. Lovely. Thank you very much. Uh, Matthew, what have you been watching lately? So... I have a, a horrible thing to admit. Um, not only have I never seen Modern Family, which I think is semi-acceptable because I think there'll be more people out there that, that haven't seen it than you realise. Uh, and it's quite fun. 20, 20, 25 minute, just little shots of dopamine. Fine. But I'd never seen Curb Your Enthusiasm either. So I started watching it and I would, I'm would. i happy to admit, at the start, it, I... I it's not that I didn't get it, but I just didn't find it that funny for, for something that's adored as much as it is. But then it just started to click. Like, 
how funny it is and it, it's it's everything that's not said that's funny in that show mm. it's everything it's the looks and the the silences and the perfectly timed silences and just those things and the only thing that like make that i need to know and any of our fine american friends on the uh, listeners will tell me like are people just that aggressive <laughs> in real life <laughs> like the one i watched the other day where it was um he blocked in somebody and he refused to pay the captain's tip like and then the captain had blocked him in on the car park and they were just like super aggressive with each other and i was like is these how people talk to themselves in america is this is this is this normal um but yeah a lot of fun um so far so i can you know it started to click with me uh and the other thing that's um powering through is is love on the spectrum i mentioned in the group chat the other day now most of these things come across as like a little crass and a bit exploitative um because essentially what we're doing is we're we're laughing at the awkwardness and the situations that people with neurodivergence um you know conditions have but there's something really sweet about this show that's not it, it's it's not there to be like a, a ridicule or, or anything like that yes they get themselves into some situations that are quite amusing but the people are always the stars of the show it's never like a hit piece about them they're always like it's about the condition and it's about the families and it's about them in their quest to find love and i know it sounds as silly as it is but it's a really sweet program and there's a couple of the characters in there that you genuinely are delighted for with like their progression in in their lives and stuff like that and i'm really enjoying it um and i, I think it's worth a watch to anybody because there's some super sweet bits in it that will like your heart goes out to them. It, it sounds like it's absolutely not the kind of thing I would have ever thought of giving a chance. But when you mentioned it and actually spoke about it the other day, it does sound a lot better than had it been on Channel 4. When yeah. they're like, they leaning to the... Like they, they had a big thing with poverty porn, didn't they, Channel 4? And it, yeah, it, it often feels a little bit grubby, I find, when whenever they've done stuff on, on that sort of spectrum. But it does sound a lot more interesting. Um, speaking of Curb, have you got to the beloved cunt episode yet? No, I don't. I don't believe so. No, <laughs> no. that's my favourite. Yeah, you'd know that. That's my favourite. Either that or Me the Blacks, because yeah, and of Leon, he's one of my favourite characters in anything ever. Absolutely outstanding. Stu, what have you been watching? <laughs> I want to go watch Curb again from the start. It's been a while. Well, I started it because Jeff and Susie, they've got a podcast where they're re-watching it. So I've started from the start and I'm doing one a week with the podcast. And it, yeah, it, it is still outstanding. Oh, that's a great idea. Um, yeah, well, how are you? Unfortunately, haven't been watching that. I'll, I'll start that tomorrow, actually. Um, no, I was still pairing through Truly Detective. It has got better. I didn't, I didn't realise that by the, when this comes out, it'll be over. It's only six episodes. Yeah. Which I thought was... I don't know how it's going to end because it, nothing seems to have really happened in a way, which is odd. Um, yeah, so I'm watching that. And then I started going proper into war, which is as uh, stereotypical as you can be. But I watched a 90-minute documentary on the Somme, which was there. Uh, <laughs> um, which was, But that was like a, a 
reenacted thing with uh, well graphics and stuff, which is more of a documentary style than the other stuff that I'd watched. Because um, I watched World World War Two uh, on the front line, which is the one with the colored colorized footage, um, which tells the whole story of World War Two. Six parts on Netflix. Really, really, really excellent, well done. I mean, that's another one which could have gone in that in that question because they talked about Italy and Greece, and there was a kind of a semi inaccuracy in that what they said there compared to what actually happened. Which I thought, well, yeah, you're using footage, and then you kind of create a narrative around something like the world, like World War Two, to fit the narrative of the footage you've got, which is a bit backward. Um, but again. Um, yeah, so I watched that. So then that got me into the natural progression of oh, it's time to watch Band of Brothers again. Um, only the second time though, because obviously I only watched it what three years ago for the first time. Second time round, it's even better. Um, just wonderful piece of art that it is. And then I went to watch um, Bob Marley One Love, which I enjoyed. It was good. That's. Probably as much as I can say about it, really, he was an excellent in any any world is going to win anything other than individual performances. Um, him and her, he's the woman who plays his wife. Superb. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You can't alter The performances were excellent, but the film, it was a bit of a... It was just a bit all over the place. Like, it starts off when he's 28 and it starts off with text on the screen like it's Star Wars. Uh, so, oh, this, we, we're not going to talk about his... He's growing up as his childhood, but then throughout the film, it flashes back to his childhood. You thought, well, that's just a strange decision to make. Like, you know, they're trying to meld these things into, oh, this is happening, so we're going to flash back to something that's vaguely reminiscent of this. And it doesn't really work. It's like something you'd see on like CSI or something like that. It, it, mm. it doesn't really work for me. Um, it just seemed a bit bad, like badly edited, maybe. There's just something a bit off about it, but watching it in super screen for the sound alone, I ain't, I ain't faulting that. The, obviously, the soundtrack's going to be good. It's a Bob Marley film, if you like that kind of thing. And the story was good. The stuff there I didn't know, um, which was, again, because we've been burnt before, I did have to check afterwards to make sure it was actually factually correct. And obviously, someone playing him was over six foot when he was not over six foot in real life. That's an artistic decision, but he's one of his he's, his kids signed off on that casting, so who are we to judge? But yeah, it, it was a a good seven out of ten film to watch. It wasn't too long, um, but there's two absolutely excellent performances out of it. So I'd give it a watch anyway, regardless of what I just said that it's a bad film. <laughs> to be honest, every review I've heard has been, yeah, it's fine. It's yeah. got no edges. Like it's just fine. It it could be better, but. Everyone's really pointed out the lead actress. I, I can't remember what her name is, but everyone's pointed her out as being the absolute star of that film. But yeah, fair enough. Um, I have been watching a lot of Oscar films that are unremarkable, if I'm being perfectly honest. I mentioned a few short films that I really enjoyed to you. The ABCs of Book Banning, which is a short available on Paramount+. Plus. And it's just this excellent look at how America are 100% going to be banning books before they ban guns in the same week that however many people have been killed by guns. But that's by the by. Um, I watched all of the animated films, um, 
Robot Dreams is a Spanish film where there's no talking set in New York where a dog builds a robot. And it's it's really weird, but really sweet as well. I quite enjoyed that. The big watch of the last week or two weeks has been the Royal Family rewatch that I've done. I don't think I appreciated how absolutely brilliant Liz Smith was in that show. Like, I remember enjoying it when I saw it, but I don't think I've ever done a proper rewatch of it since it was originally out way back when. But Lee Smith was a tour de force in that show and proper cracked up at some of the stuff. Oh, there's the one episode where she can't go to the toilet and then when she leans forward and farts, and the look on her face when, like, everyone is just sort of clocked it and they're trying to stifle a laugh and then she shuffles off up to the toilet and... Like the episode where she passes away in it, like that is absolutely heartbreaking. But it's handled so well. And I know we'd mentioned it's closer to Christmas because there was the Carolina Hearn documentary on the BBC and it was to do with the passing of her grandmother because apparently Carolina Hearn was really close to her grandmother and she died um, shortly before she then started to write that particular episode. And you can see it is just handled with such care and such love and such beauty. I really enjoyed this rewatch of it and like it's gone up in my estimation. I think watching it now being that bit older and understanding a bit more about it. Like I'm I'm less Anthony and more and I'm probably not like any of them to be perfectly honest, I don't think, but I think <laughs> you just appreciate the the archetypes of those characters from your own life a bit better than I probably would have done twenty odd years ago when it was initially out. But I would implore anybody to give that a rewatch. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It just at, so, the, even at the time though with Royal Family, it just for me it was like why I like Phoenix Night so much because it's exactly what the kind of thing that I grew up with. Like I I knew people like that who that's what their lives were, and mm. it's it related to it's just spot on because as Phoenix Nights, I grew up in them places. I love Clubland; it's amazing in a terrible way. Um, but in the same way, yeah, you are got you have got people sitting around you at the old dad in a chair, and you go around and they just talk bollocks. Like when I went around mum's today, watching football, sat there playing with a the puppy. No idea where anyone said to each other. We was there five hours. It's just one of them things. But the football was only in the background. That's it. It was so real to life that that's why it hit, and that's why it's so beloved by everyone. To know how well, how well it's going to try, how well that translates in America or anywhere else, because it does seem again both of them like things are very very English, um, but it's true. So watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on, my question is the next one up first. So I want to know <clears throat> we're in the nineteen nineties right now. I want to know which was the least deserving best picture winner of a nineteen nineties film and what film. It can be a fellow nominee, or it, it doesn't even have to have been nominated. But what film should have been the best picture winner for that particular year? Stu. I mean, we know what yours is going to be, so <laughs> it's it's not going to be Forrest Gump. Um, the fact that Saving Private Ryan didn't win, and the absolute awful shit that Shakespeare in Love is did, is a travesty of nature. Apparently, that film's a comedy. More to judge. I hate that film. Mm. I hate it with a passion. And I just forget the fact that Saving Private Ryan didn't win because that is for the. I don't think it's good as good now as it was then. Um, but back then there was nothing else like it. 
there was there wasn't there just wasn't anything like it. It was groundbreaking. It was incredible. It deserved everything it got. But he didn't win because fucking Shakespeare in Love did. It doesn't make any sense because I don't know anyone who's even. I don't know quite a few people who have even seen it. Which you think, okay, it's from the nineties. It's not that long ago in terms of cinema. Mm-hmm. But people, you say Shakespeare in Love, people don't know what it is, which is incredible. And these are people like in the thirties, not kids. People in the thirties who were there at the time, who don't remember this film. Mm. It's never shown anywhere. No one talks about it. Absolute bollocks. It's, it's interesting because I did think about Shakespeare in Love, and the only conversation that ever seems to be had about Shakespeare in Love is that Judy Dench won the Best Supporting Actress, and I think she was on screen for like three minutes or something. I think, if I remember rightly, she's got the shortest time on screen of anyone who's ever ever won the Best Supporting Actress. And that seems to be the only conversations ever had about that film. You are absolutely right. It just, save your private right, absolutely should have won that, yeah. It's ridiculous that it didn't. Matt, what's your uh, pick? Well, interesting that you should say that about Saving Private Ryan, um, because you're wrong. Uh, they shouldn't have won the Oscar, um, or the Best Picture, because um, Life is Beautiful should have. Um, and that's why Shakespeare in Love was my pick as well, because it's an <laughs> abomination on the eyes, and there was... You know, it surprises me that it took to Parasite for a um, for a foreign language film to win it when the masterpiece that his life is beautiful existed and, and then didn't win to this piece of shit. Um, I love Life is Beautiful. I genuinely do. It's like, it's so sweet. The, the, the fact that it's about the Holocaust stops it being a Christmas film, even though it's not anywhere <laughs> to do with Christmas. But, like, it could be because it's so, like, nice. I know it sounds like such a bizarre thing to say, but it was such a, such a, like, a beautiful film about kind of the, the power of being positive in a really awful scenario that was just... It's even, like, Oscar Beatty in, its, in what it is as well. And for the yeah. fact that then it didn't win to Shakespeare in Love really is a travesty. Um so we're two for two, and they're completely two different films. The only reason I think Saving Private Ryan, it, 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 it's a great film in sequences, but it's not a great film as a collective. Like, it's a good film, but the parts are excellent, but the production of it altogether isn't as good as its parts, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's not stellar, is it, that one? Which, I've never heard of this film before, and I've just looked it up. It's Italian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Stu, like, seriously, I've got it on DVD. If you struggle to find it anywhere, I don't think you will. Um, it's like, it's there's some proper slapstick moments in it. Um, that's really, they're really funny. Like, comic timing's really good. Like, if you can watch it before I go to bed tonight, if you can <laughs> just watch the first 10 minutes when he's in the car at the start, I know you'll love it. Because if you laugh at the, the, the first bit, because he's set just before the war, um... And it has this bit when he's in the car and he's dead slapsticky, and I know you'll love it. So just watch that bit and tell me how it how it went for you. I'll have a look when we finish this. Because like I know you love that film, and when I saw it on this list earlier, I found it on a streaming service that I I have, and I've put it into my favourites ready to watch because I know it's one that needs to be watched. 
because Roberto Benigni, the, the Guido in it, he actually won the best actor, the leading actor that year, ahead of Tom Hanks, which seems kind of amazing when, like, Saving Private Ryan was the film of that year. So I was mm. quite surprised when I saw that he won the, the leading actor, so I think I'll, I'll be giving that one a try myself. Yeah, you should. It's, it's excellent. Mm. So the answer that I'm going to be giving you, <clears throat> I don't think... No, I, I think... Forrest Gump probably should have won. Not because it's the best film, but because it's the least offensive film of that year. And that's basically what the Oscars are about. They're not about telling you what the best film of the year is. It's about the one that the most people think is fine. So if you look in like the last few years alone, like Coda, no one's fucking watched Coda since. Only idiots like me who watch all of the Oscar films <laughs> have even seen that crap. So that's what the Oscars are. You will get people who will be like wildly passionate about a movie and that movie will probably divide people. You'll get people who will love it and you'll get people who will hate it. So it will never win. So the Oscar winner generally tends to be the third or fourth best film of that year because it's the one that most people think is fine. So I think Forrest Gump, I sort of understand why. And looking back historically, like it's aged badly but it still has a cultural footprint. So I understand why. Whereas I think looking at American Beauty, that's not... Like, it's a watchable film, but it's muddled as fuck. It's all over the place. It's not... Like, the acting's fine for the vast majority of it. It's proper ham-fisted in the... Look at this beautiful bag flowing in the wind. Like, fuck <laughs> Like, it's... It's so corny. It's so over-the-top nonsense. Whereas The Sixth Sense is one of the most talked-about films that was released in the 1990s. And that 100% should have won the best Oscar that year. The Sixth Sense, even now, stands up against pretty much any other film within that genre. It is absolutely outstanding. And, and yeah, that should have been the Oscar winner that year, not American Beauty. Do you think it's, it's because... I mean, ruining the sixth sense in 2024. I mean, come on, grow up. If you hear a story by now, yeah, yeah. you've had enough time. But that gimmick, being a gimmick, if you take that away, is it as good as you remember it is? Because watching it again for the first time after, you know, you know, it was amazing because you look at there's all the little clues all the way through. Then you watch it again after that. I didn't like it the third time I watched it. I thought, really? this is, yeah, I didn't like it the third time. Obviously, the first time it's like, oh, groundbreaking stuff. And then you go back and to figure it all out. But the third time, I thought, this wasn't as good as I remember it. Maybe, maybe it's because I watched it too, too quickly in, um, and it needed a bit of time. Maybe I'll go back now and watch it again um, after many, many years. I mean, a bit like, unfortunately, like we just mentioned Coda. We talked about Coda on here that year it came out. I don't remember even watching it. But obviously that's because of the, the incident. Yeah. And it's one of the things I have forgotten. But I wish I'd forgotten Six Sense so I could watch that again. <laughs> because I remember it almost B for B and maybe that's why that it doesn't have the same impact. Maybe that's sort of a thing that because that that thing was such the big turning point of it and the talking point of that film, maybe it's kind of clearly people's judgments, but I don't know. It's an idea. Matt, what do you think? 
Yeah, the sixth sense for me, like I remember seeing it the first time I saw it, and I don't. What year was the sixth sense? Sorry, ninety nine. Ninety nine. So I'd have been ten when it came <laughs> out, or ten or eleven. I genuinely, at the time, thought it was the scariest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> like it, like it. For me, it was a horror film. It wasn't a thriller. It wasn't like a psychological thriller or anything. It was a horror film. And I was terrified. It took me ages to watch it again. Um, but yeah, it like it. It's funny because this is the question in itself. Really, is what is the film that drops off the most at third viewing? Because once you've got out of the second one, where you're then looking for all the hints that it was what it was. Once you've seen that, then what else is there to enjoy of it? I guess is a really interesting way to look at it. I think it's great now. But at the time, it's fucking terrifying. And like, I didn't want to get anywhere near it after I saw it the first time. It's interesting. I saw this film. I went in knowing what the twist was. And it did not spoil it for me in the slightest. I still thought it was an absolute masterpiece of the film. So, How was it determined for you? How did you know? Everyone so, talked about it, didn't they? Um, yeah, it was on. Bedeal and Skinner unplanned. And they mentioned it on there that um, Bruce Willis was dead was like the punchline to a joke and that they made the joke of well if you don't know by now fuck you was sort of the, the joke right. um, so I, I went in knowing it but like, I've got to be honest like spoilers generally don't bother me especially if it's a film that's been out over a year at that point it's on me if I if you get spoiled it's not mm. the, the person telling you the way I see it but yeah it didn't spoil it for me and I, I even to this day I think it's yeah it's either those, The Matrix from 99, because you could make an argument for either of those films, I think, having probably the biggest cultural impact going forward into the, the next century. <clears throat> Stu, your question's up next, please. Yeah, mine was just because it was on my mind because we talked about um, Lord of the Rings and the new seat. Well, the many new Lord of the Rings things that are coming out this year, apparently. And where would we be without it? Because if you look at it and look at the landscape of where we were before the first one came out and ner nerddom, geek culture, still didn't, wasn't a thing. Even You're still talking about, you, talk, you can put the Matrix in that as well. Especially comic book films. You like that kind of stuff. You got been to death at school. And then I remember it be the first trailer coming out for it and say so, our oh, Lord of the Rings and I saw it, when that come up on the screen I thought haha ring ring piece gay kid that was genuinely I was sitting with Dean we was watching something and that's because I only he read the books he loved all this stuff he had he had um, what was it Necromunda the Warhammer variant he had all the the hive and everything on the cardboard he built it all he used to play after school um, but no one ever talked about that that kind of thing back then it's in late, late nineties, early two thousands. It was just not a thing that was done. But after that, look what came after. You even even something like just a few years later, Pan's Labyrinth. Everyone fucking watched Pan's Labyrinth. Even people who didn't like foreign films watched Pan's Labyrinth. That wouldn't have come around without Lord of the Rings. And obviously, Game of Thrones probably wouldn't have got commissioned either. So, is it? Is it one of the turning points of our world? Um. I think, like, I can't think of many things that made that fantasy genre as 
accessible, I think, before Lord of the Rings. I'm sure they were, but I think it was more of like when I think of fantasy prior to Lord of the Rings, I end up thinking of things like Labyrinth and things like that, which are more mm. like magical than fantasy and the big set piece war kind of things. I the first thing I think of is Lord of the Rings. So I think it's like the standard the measuring stick for that genre. So for something that's now so old as it is, comparatively, um, to be the measuring stick, the yardstick for the genre is shows its kind of cultural impact. And I struggle to think of things that like now when you think of film and you think generally what are if you were trying to make small talk at a party or something or whatever and you think oh i'm going to talk about film the first one of the first things i guarantee like people say is what do you prefer lord of the rings or harry potter mm-hmm. and like it's it's ability to just kind of seep into popular culture even though it's something on the face of it super nerdy super like doesn't feel accessible but it really is. Everybody's like kind of seeing it now and knows something about it. And I think as a gateway to get people into that fantasy genre, it's done an incredible job um, and they should get the credit it deserves for that. Yeah. It's probably the millennials, Star Trek or Star Wars, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think they would have had, as you know, Gen X would have had that one. I think millennials had Potter or, or Lord of the Rings. And like, I do have a negative, but I'm going to save that point for Matt's um, next question, to be honest, because I do have something to talk about that <laughs> that world of stuff. Uh, but on the positive side, you are right. Like, it did open up this world to, to people that wasn't around, especially in the 90s. Like, Star Wars was sort of about as geeky as it got that was still acceptable. But once Lord of the Rings came out, you had the people who loved Lord of the Rings they were so excited for it and everyone was sort of giving a bit of a side eye like mm, is this really going to be any good look at it it looks nerdy as shit and then when it actually hit and was this like fucking five star epic you think okay well yeah everybody sort of got on board with this new way of cinema and it did feel like it was a bit of a turning point because those films I, I haven't seen them for years but they don't feel like they're 23 years old they feel more modern than some of the films that we've had within the last couple of years, to be honest. So I, I do think it's had a you know a, a big positive impact in some aspects, and I think it is that it is that people now are quite happy to let their freak flags fly a little bit, and they're happy to show that they're nerds and and stuff. And Lord of the Rings did break down that barrier for a lot of people, I believe. Super. So Matt, take us home and uh, what's your question, please? Well, through the medium of a podcast, this is a slightly difficult, but I assume we've all seen the uh, picture on various tweets of Prince Charming, I think it is, from Shrek with loads of swords around him. Basically, what film opinion do you have that would have people with their knives out wanting to gap you in the street, Stu? Are we... This is, uh, I feel that Andy's heart rate going up now. Um, for, and not like when I, I don't mounted him at Brentford either, for different reasons. Um, <laughs> that the vast majority of films released before 1970 are unwatchable today. <laughs> it was a certain, certain way things were filmed, especially going on, like, 
further back than that, you know, like 50s and stuff. Even the silly music they tell over the top of them, and all that kind of thing. Nah, I have any. Don't work for me. But other than things like Wizard of Oz and stuff like that, and like Thief of Baghdad and things from my childhood that I remember, if that kind of stuff comes on, it immediately puts me off. And I know it's a, it's a kind of time and place thing, but I can't watch things that are that old, generally. There's there's the odd one, like I just said, that they filter through, that are okay. If they're that old, it, it drives me insane because they look terrible. And, and obviously this is a very visual snobbery thing. Um, and obviously they can, they can only do work, work with what they, what they can work with. And I can sit there and watch Jason and the Argonauts over and over again and be absolutely fine with it. Things released around the same time, it despises me. It makes me angry. I can't watch them. I don't really know why. But on the whole, things from that that far ago, that long ago, should be banished to where they They were released there for a reason. They haven't been remade, and if they have been remade, it's generally terrible. But I can't watch the originals, and I can't watch things from before that period of time. Wow, incredible. Is it the painted backdrop that, that is the thing, like the time stamp that, that puts you off? Uh, not necessarily. I mean... I think it's the, the kind of type of acting as well, and there's a certain accent, especially American American films. It's also like hyper stupid, and it it just feels or it feels fake. It's a fucking film, you know what I mean? It it doesn't feel right, and I don't know, I don't. It's hard to explain it. Um, because I can watch confessions films, no problem. I'll go, I'll go watch carry on films from back then, no problem at all. But films with a bit like an effect or some kind of like sorry, my dear, I don't give a damn, or, or that kind of voice, it just pisses me off. I don't know why. Gone, gone with the wind is obviously an exception before people write in and have a go at me. That shit. It's massively overrated. Gone with the wind is. It's fine. It's just, it's not the best film ever. It is fine. Well, Andy, what's your uh, what's your film opinion that will get you on? America's most wanted list. I've got one quick one that if someone tells you the Shawshank Redemption is their favourite film, <laughs> never to listen to their opinion on film ever again. Because it's the most, it's just a film film that's ever been made. It's just a movie. They're just people who like to be told what to feel because it's so obvious and everything is fed to you like you're a child. So, yeah, Shawshank Redemption lovers, I don't get it. But the one that I was really wanted to mention, which leans into the Lord of the Rings chat from a minute ago, Spider-Man in 2000 is why the cinemas are on their arse as they are right now. Cinema was in a stronger position back when people would go to see the latest Tom Cruise film or the latest Julia Roberts movie. But when Spider-Man made all that money, they learned quite quickly that it wasn't about, or they could get away without paying big actors to make these films you could get away with quite literally putting somebody in a mask and making millions and millions of dollars so they took that lesson and then they made stuff like lord of the rings which is mostly with you know smaller name actors and it's very much the ip which sells cinema now it's not sold on who the best director is it's not really sold on who the best actors are anymore it's sold on iron man it's not Robert Downey Jr., it's Iron Man, it's Tony Stark. And I feel like that's the wrong lesson that we're learning. And it's sort of coming to a head now 
because the cinema chains, the studios have taught us, I say us, we're not the four films a year bunch, are we, let's be honest. But those who only go to the cinema four times a year have been taught to only bother with these massive IPs that only go and watch Indiana Jones. But people have got tired of that as well now. So they're not making money on these big IPs. And nobody's going to see some of the smaller films that are released because studios have told us that they don't really matter. It's only the $300 million blockbusters that you should be wasting your time with. So no, nobody's going to the cinema to see a fucking thing. And all of a sudden, the cinema chains are starting to crumble. They're struggling to keep the money. They're struggling to keep the doors open. And Spider-Man in 2000 is the reason why. The catalyst started this misery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is an interesting piece. That, there's, there's a TikTok, if there ever was one. And if you're not already uh, subscribed to us on TikTok, <laughs> then please do. Um, my one is, and I've felt this ever since I was in school, so this isn't like a flash in the pan opinion, but I really do not see what people see in Monty Python. <laughs> I think it's, I just think it's awful. I really do. Like, I swear it's more just a carry-on film than it is high art comedy. Like, people who love it really love it, and I get it because I obsess over things that, like, other people might find odd, like Spinal Tap, but I really don't get it. Like all of the all of the things that people quote, like "We are the Knights of Saint Knee" and all that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I don't know what's funny about that. I don't know what's. I just don't get it at all. It's like it's all of the it's all of the things about being British that make me cringe. Is is is, is within Monty Python, and it should fall into the grounds of like things that were funny then but aren't now, like Faulty Towers and things like that. That like just in a in a time capsule of that was okay then not okay in like a moral sense that it was funny then and it was it was then but like we know deep down it was shit don't we really and that's how I feel about Monty Python I just don't get it it just ticks no boxes for me there I've said it I've got it off my chest at long last what about the young ones and bottom yeah I didn't like this Stu but I just think I haven't given like them the chance but like Blackadder doesn't tick a huge amount of boxes for me but then there are there are elements to it that I really enjoy so what's the what's the fucking Rick Mal's character in that Lord Flashheart yeah like that is hilarious like but I don't like in small doses like I could take that amount of energy in a character from what I understand that is bottom all the time and the young ones all the time. And that's just like a little, t- not too intense for me because that makes me sound like a fanny, but it just it's just not my kind of comedy, I guess, all the time. Um, and it's not it's to say I don't like... 24 Yeah, and that's not to say I don't like comedy from a certain time period as well because like porridge and stuff like that, absolutely love. So it's not like it's a time thing. Um, yeah, but Monty Python really does nothing for me. I'm sorry. I think it might... It's not a time thing, and this is why the youth shouldn't be allowed to have anything at all. Um, It's very much a kind of... Not so much a time period. When it was going out, it was one of the biggest things. Because it was like the the TFI Friday years and that kind of thing. We always used to talk about it at school. I 
we would have a planner. Well, yeah, you watch Tier Five at six, the the early one, and then you watch Bottom at nine, and then you you watch the light version of Tier Five, which is the same show, um, but raunchier and more crazy. And that was the thing that that was it was very much of the time, and everyone watched it together. I sent Nate a clip of Bottom <laughs> before, and he's like, "What is this?" Because it doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense at all. It's just two idiots hitting each other. And <laughs> and the, there was a clip of the um, where they go to the, uh, the the Walford Hotel, and he's got the boobs on his back, <laughs> and it, it doesn't. It's stupid, and I think that's what Monty Python is as well. I there's some parts of Monty Python I don't get, and I grew up with it because my dad loved it, and it was always on whenever it was on telly, like Forty Towers. Whenever it was on, it was on the telly. It was never, oh, yeah, there's something else on the other side. We're going to watch this. So I kind of grew up with it, like I grew up with like Ben Lizzie and Slade. So being exposed to it through my whole life, there's bits of it that are very childish as well, even for like things, even for the time then. But then you, for the same reason, obviously the young ones was on before we were born. But it was on telly all the time when we were growing up. And then that led to bottom. So I know what you mean. I don't get part of the part of Monty Python either, but parts of it, and the films especially, the films are excellent. Mm. Life of Brian is superb. But if you didn't grow up, yeah. But if you didn't grow up with it, then you I can easily see why you look at it. I think this is childish shit. Because all I'm hearing is I enjoyed it because there was no choice. And I had. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. Oh, yeah, we were fully good to it. There was no viable alternative, is what I'm hearing. No, I, was... I enjoyed it. And I think the films do hold up. I mean, they're re releasing Holy Grail, I think, this week. So I'm really looking forward to going and seeing this again. I, I do like it, but it's very hit and miss, especially the TV show. I do think yeah. it's very hit and miss because at times it can be too silly. It's almost Little Britain-esque in parts, and it's just too much for me. But I think when it's good, I think it's great. But it's a very specific type of humour. And I think if you're not into slapsticky stuff, it's not going to work for you. So I, I get why you probably wouldn't like it. But I do. And like Bottom, I'm a massive fan of Bottom. I think that, that and Red Dwarf are like the two sitcoms that I grew up with. So yeah, I'll defend them to the death, I think. <laughs> right so that's all of our questions done for this week we're going to move on and discuss the nick cage classic fast times at ridgemont high but because he's literally in this for two seconds and matthew's had a very busy day he's not going to be joining us for this one so matthew would you like to say goodbye to the people people what a pleasure uh it has been as always um do us a very very big favor tell a friend about uh this podcast and make us filthy rich or just give us a few more listeners. That would be very much appreciated. Have a great week ahead. We love you lots. Lovely. Cheers, Matt. We'll see you soon. Ciao. How the hell do I leave? Right. So, Stu, you and I, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Had you seen this film before, or is this your first viewing of it? Oh, no, uh... That's why I, I reacted with glee when you mentioned it. <laughs> That's why this was what we was watching because I watched it for knockback, like you watch it for how it got made. Is that what it's called? Yeah, um, get made. Yeah, I watched it for knockback because they were talking about it. And before then, I'd never heard of it, obviously, because it's 
it's one of these films and I can't believe it's as old as it is. Um, and then I looked into who's actually in it. I thought, I can't wait for this. And so I watched it um, at the time, maybe a year ago, maybe 18 months ago, something like that. Um, and uh, there's, there's times where I would la- laugh out loud like uncontrollably at it because it, mm. it's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous that the entire film, um, there's parts that... Judge Reinhold's character. It's I about him because it, it, the whole thing could be about his downfall. It is absolutely absurd, isn't it? Everything that happens to him throughout that film, like at any stage, it just gets worse and worse <laughs> and worse for him. And it's just so funny. It he is great, and I don't think I've seen him in anything else be that good either. Like he's usually fine. He's a you know a perfectly fine actor. But he was brilliant in that. Yeah. It's, it's the bit where Phoebe Cates catches him wanking and it just sort of... <laughs> the shame. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I watched it a few years ago. I can't remember which film we watched, but I thought, well, I'm going to watch this as well. Because uh, I think we did have a very brief chat about it, or I mentioned it at the time. Um, so this is my second viewing of it. And I, I still really enjoyed it. I mean, we'll get to the good, bad, and the crazy in a second, but obviously this this is a very American type of film, isn't it? Mm-hmm. This, oh, they're not sophomores. What are they called when they're about to graduate their final year of high school? I can't remember what the term is, uh, but that's what it's all about. It's that you know that coming of age story where they're just about to become young adults rather than you know old kids, effectively. I suppose you'd say. It seems to be a very American phenomena, which we've sort of incorporated a little bit within between us and stuff like that. Yeah. But I don't feel like we had anything before the 2010s. I don't feel like there's anything comparable, is there, in, in British cinema history? Nothing that springs to mind anyway. Not really. I think it's like Saved by the Bell, isn't it, this this, this thing? Um, but we, we don't have that whole, what is it? upper school secondary school kind of oh yeah you can get a car at 16 drive around and do what you want kind of vibe here because it's something mm-hmm. possible so it's it's very different and i think you, you're right the in between is he's probably as close as he gets because that kind of does sum up what school is kind of like here um it's just a very different thing it's like t- two cultures separated completely by a common language again and it's what this this is the kind of stuff that you think? Oh, why can't we go, go go to school in America? And obviously you wouldn't go now because you'd be killed. Um, mm. <laughs> but mm. you know what I mean. It always seemed cooler. And then you watch films like this, and well, I'll mention later on as well. Um, and it just looks like a, a lot more fun than what we've got. It, it really does, doesn't it? I, yeah, I've I properly enjoyed this, and I think with American films of this genre high school is a rite of passage whereas i don't feel there was ever that moment in britain especially for someone of our age ship i don't feel like graduating secondary school and going to college was really that rite of passage college was the rite of passage Mm. so maybe that's the where the difference is between ourselves and the american system that's why it hasn't quite translated as well but this was as good as anything I've seen, like with American Pie and the likes. This, I felt, was a much better film. This is one of the best films I've seen 
of that genre, I think. I don't, there's very few that sort of stack up to this that are as funny and have quite a dramatic element to it as well. I feel like a lot of other films, they either do the drama or they do the comedy, but this one managed to get a little bit of both in there and I liked it for that. Mm. Yeah. And you've got the whole thing about well, the, the own clothes and stuff like that that we obviously we don't have here. Something as sim- simple as that, that you look at it and you think, yeah, you look, it's very, it's obviously very different. It's a different way of doing things. And I was trying to think, is there any, obviously, uh, did you ever watch that, that Waterloo Road? Have you ever seen that, that show on BBC? Years and years ago, I think I've seen an episode or two, but I didn't watch it religiously now. Because even that, that's, that's but that's more about the teachers than anything, mm. the, the, the pupils, obviously because kid actors are terrible. Um, but, and obviously these people are not kid actors, although they're in the 20s pretending to be t- teens. Yeah. I, I presume so anyway. Um, even though Phoebe Cates in that bikini is, uh, is a sight to behold. <laughs> mm. I mean, that's, that's the sexual awakening of like pretty much everyone in America, I think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and well, every time we, we mention her on here, they thought like, oh, it's, it's such a shame that she just disappeared. I mean, she was even lovely in um, Drop Dead Fred. Like, she was still lovely at that point, and you just don't see her in anything. Looking on IMDb, she was in the anniversary party in 2001, and then Lego Dimensions gay or TV show. I don't know what that is. I've got Lego Dimensions. Completely vanished. She's Kate Beringer. I don't know who that is, if that's like an old character of her. Oh, Gremlins 2. Gremlins 2 character name. So she's the Gremlin. She plays her own character in, in Gremlins. Yeah. But yeah, she's kind of sad that we just stop seeing her because she does seem lovely. Yeah. Anyway, you're good, bad, and crazy on this one, Shu. I mean, the good is the fact that I mean, we go over <laughs> what I said earlier about old films and how. I don't get them past a certain point. Obviously, eighties and nineties is my my jam, my 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 time to shine. I can't believe how old this film is, and yet eighty two. Yeah, yeah. Well, now that's the crazy part for me that it doesn't feel old. Obviously, taking without phones and things like that. Yeah. Um. But you take all the the modern stuff away, and the setting and the themes and. Just under the, t- the 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 carrot thing, the carrot scene, <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah. like how he how he gets the kid with a massive head, and it, <laughs> and he, he comes he, when he comes too soon, and then she makes it out that he's a massive, like he's a super lover and all this stuff, and he can't handle the pressure. It's just perfect. Everything about it is it's just genius. Um, yeah, the crazy is the fact that it's as old as it is. And it really doesn't feel like it. The good, it's genuinely hilarious, which a lot of these films are not, and they age very badly. If anything, this has aged better than American Pie has. Um, Definitely, yeah. Well, the the bad is the fact that we never got a sequel, I suppose, and the fact that Nick Cage is in it for about a minute. Um, because I would have loved something else in this world, but obviously we, we it's never going to happen. Um, if it came out now... We get about five of these. Like we ended up with with American Pie. Yeah, and I kind of wish they had done more because the 
these characters are genuinely lovable. Even though I know you, you'll mention Sean Penn, I didn't even know that that, that was who that was until the end. <laughs> the first time. Really? No, I had no idea because I'd looked at it. I thought, oh, Sean Penn, whatever. And then obviously Judge Ronald looks the same in everything he did yeah. at, that time, at that time. And so did she. And I never even thought about it after. I thought, well, where was Sean Penn? And the fact that he's one of the main characters and he's just high all the time. No, no idea. Interesting issue. You said you wanted more. 1986 TV series, seven episodes, Fast Times. It doesn't have any of the same actors in, but it does have the same characters. Um, yeah, so Stacey, Linda, Spicoli is played by Dean Cameron. I don't recognise any of the names. Oh, Patrick Dempsey plays Mike. Vincent Schiavone plays um, the, the biology teacher again. Oh, Wallace Langham, who was in um, CSI for any CSI fans. There's not many names in there that you'll recognise, but they, they did give us more in that world. Because um, I completely agree. I, I would definitely have liked more. I think like it's a really tight 90 minutes. I would have been happy with another 20, 30 minutes on this. Because my bad is that like they focus on six or seven different characters. And I just kind of wanted a little bit more, like after the abortion storyline, I kind of wanted to see more of um, Judd Reinhold and, and Evan Rachel Wood's characters, um, like like their relationship and how it affected them going forward. Just gives that little bit more of insight just behind what you've given us. I think that would have been really interesting. But I don't know if I'm just being greedy with that, if that's just me or if that would have been the right thing to do oh, sorry uh, Jennifer Jason Lee not Evan Rachel Wood um, so that would be my bad was just I just wanted more because I really enjoyed it but my goodies I thought this was a fantastic film as I said I think this is one of the best films of that genre you are right it, it does hold up a lot better than American Pie and you know was it Road Trip and Euro Trip and all of those shitty films that they released in, in the wake of the success of of um, the American Pie movie. This was such good fun. And it also had that dramatic core of when um, Jennifer Jason Lee fell pregnant. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, when Jennifer Jason Lee became pregnant and she needed to get the money together to yeah. get an abortion. And like that whole story was really out of nowhere. Not out of nowhere because it was plotted throughout the film and they did it perfectly well. But Watching it, I remember first time I watched it, I didn't expect that to be in the middle of it. Didn't expect this dramatic core that was surrounded by all of this really good comedy. So, yeah, this this was really up my street. Um, the crazy, so I've got two pieces of trivia for you. So I was surprised to learn that this is loosely based on a book of the same name by Cameron Crowe, the guy who wrote, he was like a Rolling Stones journalist and he did always famous. Um, he re-enrolled for the final year of high school when he was 22 years old, pretending to be a student. So he did the Drew Barrymore never being kissed thing in real life. He wrote the book and then the characters were then taken from that book and put into this film. But like, how on earth did a 22-year-old man manage to fucking re-enroll into high school? Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and the other thing is, this was a breakout film for Phoebe Kate. Jennifer Jason Lee, Sean Penn, Judge Reinhold, Nick Cage, Forrest Whitaker, Eric Stoltz, Pamela Springsteen, who is Bruce's cousin and was the star of Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3. 
I can't think of many films that launched that many careers that have all yeah. gone on to have like various levels of success, but they're all names that 40 years later still get mentioned. I think that's just absolutely incredible, the, the footprint that it's left. Yeah. Um, before we get on to the questions we normally do, I have got a different one for you specifically. 12 months later, we get Valley Girl. Which one are you taking with you? Are you taking... Fast Times, are you taking Valley Girl? Take the well, next page out of it. Valley Girl seemed to be almost like a kind of the natural evolution of this film. Um, and then fr from Valley Girl, I mean, I'll, I'll bring it in now. St. Elmo's Fire is what the next stage after that is. Them three as a trilogy is fucking incredible. And you remember when you used to have the, the DVD box sets of three random films that are not even connecting <laughs> to each other? This would be one of them. Um, oh, I love Valley Girl so much, though. <laughs> I think, but I did. I, I I laughed more at this one, but I think I Valley Girl is Valley Girl something else. I I can't betray it. Okay, okay, that's fair. I mean, I, I'm definitely taking this one personally. I think it, it is a better film, but I know you do have nostalgia for that film for some very bizarre reason. <laughs> So the Nicolas Cage of it all, he, he doesn't have a speaking role. We see him. Like, even the one scene where we see him, he's not even facing the camera. He's like, he's got half of his back to us. You know, that's that's not great acting, is it? I think if um, if this was his sizzle reel, he would have struggled to get another role after this one. But I don't think we can really answer if he was good or bad on this because it's just a null and void, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. So... I mean, I'd like to think that he'd be kind of like a DJ Qualls figure. <laughs> in how nerdy and yeah. lanky he looks in this. Um, but again, we'll never know. Yeah, that's it. So I'm guessing your answer to the other question that we normally ask, which is, did you enjoy this film? Is a resounding yes by the sound yeah. of it. Yeah, I absolutely yeah. love it. Same here. Like, I don't, I think if, if this was eligible for the Nick Cage top five, I don't think it would hit the top five. But I think it's not too far off, if I'm honest. I, I really enjoyed it. It would definitely be in the upper third of his films. Personally, for me, I think it would, you know, it's it would fall in the, the top 33%. Yeah, easily. And so, so for me, it'll be in... How many is, have we done now? Is it 65 or something like that? So... Um, this yeah, this would be in the top twenty easy. Ooh, absolutely. Right, so that was your film for the if you enjoyed Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you may also like is there any other film that you can think of that would be worthy of a, a watch? I mean American Pie is like the modern the modern remake of this, isn't it? Um mm. let's be honest. And I would kind of be interested to see doing it now, what that would be like. If it was even possible, I guess that sex education on Netflix is kind of like a similar vibe, but right. not as fun, not as funny. Um, but I don't think you'd be able to do it anymore. I, don't, I think it'd be too dangerous, and it cause cause too much chaos to try and make one of them films again. Um, yeah, I think since so Elmo's Fire is kind of ruined now because that, that Virgin Media advert with a goat has stole the song 
which no one, no one heard that. No one knew that song existed before. But it was, oh yeah, it's a secret club. Whenever that comes on, you request it and stuff. And uh, wedding disco is what we talked about last week. Um, I've done that a few times. I'll give uh, thing for us to tell us. Oh, banger. Put it on. No one knows what it is. Everyone just thinks of that Virgin Media goat now, so it's all ruined forever. Ruined but, it, yeah. But that film is good. It's not funny uh, like this, but it is of a kind of snapshot in time of that kind of thing. Again, for something that we never experienced. It's It's got a similar kind of, yeah, this is Americana that we don't have. It's probably not actually anything like this. Mm. But this is what that stage of the people's lives from moving from there into the real world and then them losing their friends that they've grew up with kind of thing. This is how that this pans out. I think if you watch this and doing the DVD trilogy, I think that'd be an actually a really good experience. <laughs> so yeah, I'll go for St. St. Elmo's Fire. Mm, I, I did a sort of similar thing to yourself thinking about this movie, but from a different side. So I think like the main two actors in this, or the main two stars really are the two girls. I think if you wanted a boy's story, You'd go for something like Weird Science, which obviously takes this to like that next level of stupidity. But you could probably pick any of the John Hughes films, to be honest, I think would be quite comparable. Obviously, they're from a similar period of time and they deal with a similar setting. So I think any John Hughes film I think would be a good accompaniment to this. Uh, but the film that I was going to recommend is Juno. So I think if you want something that's like a really well-written film that centres around a dramatic event being the pregnancy of a a girl who is not ready, but obviously in Juno she keeps the she doesn't keep the baby. She has the baby and then adopted out. It's got you obviously Elliot Page is in it, Michael Sarah, Jason Bateman, Jennifer Garner, Alison Janney, J.K. Simmons. Ticked a lot of boxes for me because that is a very strong cast. So I I loved that one, and I think I watched a YouTube video the other day, funnily enough, about it and how it was written, and there was like four different storylines all revolving around that pregnancy. And it's actually just a really well-written, really clever film. I think Diablo Cody won the Oscar that year for Juno as well for um, script writing. But yeah, I think that that's an excellent movie. It's definitely worth a watch, that one. Plus, much like this, it's got a really good soundtrack as well. Mm. Mm. Can you... Yeah. Is it... <coughs> when was, have you watched it since... I'm just going to get it completely wrong. What they are, they are now. I haven't watched it for, a, I don't think I've seen it since she he transitioned to Elliot. It, the, it's such a minefield, isn't it? I, obviously, I know what we're talking about. We meet yeah. no offence. We're very, excellent to everybody on this podcast. And yeah. Because I don't know if, because obviously there's that game that, that game that he was in. When he was she, that I never played, um, and I always wanted to play. And it was when it was re-released on PS4. There's a, a, a version because it was all it was. They re, it was originally released on PS3. It was all out of time, and like the the start was like Pulp Fiction. Um, yeah, um, it, Beyond Two Souls is that the one? No, no, no. Um, Beyond Two Souls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Beyond Two Souls. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, Heavy Rain was first, and then that's the Beyond Two Souls. And then right, it was Heavy Rain, yeah. It was a sequel to Heavy Rain. Um, oh, shit, I didn't realise that. In a kind of anthology way. Um, it was made by Quantic Dream. Uh, but yeah, Beyond Two Souls, it was... 
but it, it because it was set out of order, it it got review bombed and people hated it. But then the, the, when they re-released it on PS4, it was patched so that you could play it in chronological order, and it was better apparently. But I never played it. But no, neither did I. I wonder if it's on. Um... Yeah, yes, you probably you probably own it anyway. See, it was, oh, I've got that many. I just don't know what the fuck's on there. I, I got four hundred and forty. Oh no, we I looked the other day when I was putting my uh, <laughs> PS4 back in action again. Um, yeah, play, play playing that when he he made it as a shitty. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know how how because I've never, never experienced that before. So I I, I yeah. guess it's it's no different to someone. They're still playing a part, mm-hmm. but it's having that knowledge. If that's got a mess we read, I don't know. Not mm. real. Yeah, I know what you mean. I I don't think personally that it, it would affect me. I think I could still watch it, and it's separating the art from the artist. I think, and I know we usually use that in a negative connotation. That's not what I'm doing here, but it's just recognizing that the character they're playing isn't the person they are, regardless of what's happened since in the outside world so i mean you're very good at separating the art from the artist as well Stu. so i think yeah i don't because we haven't experienced it i think we would probably not even bat an eyelid when we do yeah try to be like yeah yeah i think that's where we would stand with it but you are right like it's not something i've thought about at all but yeah it'd be interesting to see but that was a film I love, so I'm quite looking forward to that one. Uh, giving that one a watch again. Yeah. Plus Jennifer's Body as well, which followed it up. Like Diablo Cody was such an underrated screenwriter. I feel like she got done dirty, to be honest. Yeah, I never watched Jennifer's Body. It's um, it's a bit like you know how Showgirls has had a bit of a reprisal now, when people are saying actually there was some good to this film that was shat on. Jennifer's Body got that, I think, because. What's her name? Um, Fox, Megan Fox had gone from being this person everyone loved to this person everyone hated right around the time that film came out. She kind of got done dirty. And Megan Fox is a much better actor than she's given credit for, to be honest. But I think that's another conversation for another podcast. Yeah, people people shit on her because of how she, well, how she looked at a certain time before she ruined herself. Um Beauty tech I suppose. Yeah, I think there is a certain element to it, to be perfectly honest, yeah. Anyway, we'll save that one for another week. We've got a podcast coming up next week with our good friend, Mr. Ash Dolan. Um, we'll let you know what it is next week because I still can't quite get my head around what we'll be doing, but we'll we'll see them. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, please make sure you subscribe on whatever podcaster that you're listening to us on now. And please leave us a review at five star one. That would be phenomenal. Um, what else have I got to say? Oh, yeah. So Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, at CageFightingPod. Email to CageFightingPod at gmail.com. Um, is there anything else I'm doing the side off? I can't even remember. It feels like it's been ages. Uh, for this week, Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Sugar puffs have never been replaced. It's all in me. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. And remember, be excellent to each other. <laughs>